So, uh, if you've been around Eastlake before, you know the uh, kind of the format of how the service works is usually play some music, do a little funny, uh, funny like you know talking video, instruction video to expect at Eastlake, and then some sort of a funny clip, and then uh, and then today I like pulled out the rug from under you, and then we show show this one. You're like, hey, it's not how you play. It's not you're playing against the rules here, um, and. Uh, I, we, uh, he, Alex called me up. We met a couple weeks ago. He's like, I, I think I want to get baptized. I want to share my story. And so, um, we, I brought him, you know, brought him in. We did the whole video upstairs. And as he's telling this thing, I'm, and he, I realized in that moment, he doesn't want to get baptized. He just wants to tell a story. And the story was so good, especially the stuff about his mom. He wanted, we were talking about when do we do this? And I was like, dude, you got to do this on Mother's Day. Cause, uh, what better, avenue to be able to be like, because I could step up here and be like, hey, it's mom's day, everybody. Give it up for our moms. We all clap, and then that's kind of it. But then when you see the story about like, dude, my life is is changed because of this single mom who took, uh, you know, who, who stood beside me against all this stuff. I was just like, dude, this is such a good, good thing, a good story to tell. And so he, Alex was here with his, they were front row, uh, mom's balling, grandparents balling, I'm balling. This is how this is. You miss first service, but that's what it looked like in first service. So I come up here. I'm like, all right, all right. Well, we got to do this, guys. You know that kind of thing. So I'm much better, much more put together today. But um, just another testimony to just uh, just moms. It's just it, it is awesome. Uh, it's Happy Mother's Day, all of you who who came, and, and maybe you came because your mom wanted you to come. Because uh, uh, this is what I want for Mother's Day. Come to church with me. Um, we're, we're glad that you're here because of that. Um, this is a fun day too because um, if, uh, a lot of dads. Uh, like like myself, decided to do. I, here's what I decided to do this morning. I was well. I decided this last night. Last night I drove to uh, Yokes to go get a card because um, it's Saturday and you're supposed to do that kind of stuff on Saturday before Mother's Day, right? And uh, I walked in. I'm like, I don't even know where the card section is, but there's a large crowd of people over there. It's probably around there. So found my way in there. Got the card. Got uh, got some stuff for. Her, and then uh, you're like, Yokes, Brent, you can do better than that. Thanks. I know. I know. I know. Whatever. Um, and then I decided tomorrow morning, today, I'm going to wake up early, and I'm going to dress all the kids. I'm going to give mom what she wants, which is a little peace and quiet and a little chance to sleep in today. And I'm going to, I'm going to bring them with me in the morning. So um, usually Sunday mornings are, uh, are kind of like tough for her because I'm here early. I, I leave the house before most of the kids are awake. And uh, so we woke up early. Not early enough, apparently, because I didn't know how long it takes to get four kids ready to church. Um, and uh, so showed up, got here, and um, I realized this coming in. I was like talking to somebody, and I said, "Yeah, it's gonna be great because Kylie's gonna have all this time. She's gonna be like, you know, she wants. To, she always talks about I just want to have time to do my hair and you know makeup and, and look pretty for you and all that kind of stuff. And so like an elevate. I don't know if you saw Kylie today. Beautiful today. Uh, she's always beautiful, but I have to clarify that. Uh, the, all, they're super beautiful, and then the comparison. There's always a balanced contrast. My kids look homeless is how this works. <laughs> Grayson looks, looks homeless, and everybody's in ponytails, uh, in, including Grayson. He's not thrilled about it either. So uh, that's, that's been the, the spot today. And that's, I was walking through some of the kids' areas. It's very, it looks like that's been the case this morning as well for some other dads in the audience. But that's, that's, uh, that's pretty awesome. So anyways, glad you're here. Today, if you're a first-time guest, we're kicking off a brand-new series called White Flag, a series on surrender. And uh, it's going to run for three weeks, and uh, I'm super excited about it. And I want to kick it off by asking you a question that kind of has to do with motherhood a little bit, too. Um, how many of you, and you don't have to like raise your hand or answer this audibly, it's more of a rhetorical thing, but how many of you, uh, from the time that you could walk uh, to the time you got your driver's license, ran away from home at least once? 
And it might have had to do with your mom. You were angry at her because, you know, you, you're not getting up from this table until you finish all your peas um, or something like that. And you said, I'm not going to do that. And you said something you didn't mean. You threw something, whatever. And it's now you're going to go up to your room. And you said, I'm going to do better than that. I'm just going to leave. And you, and you went upstairs and you packed the bag and you packed everything you owned into one backpack. And you got, like me, as a seven-year-old, living in Auburn, Washington, get outside of my house and just start walking. And, uh, and you get like halfway down the street and you're like, you don't, here's the thing about running away as a kid. The goal is to get away. Two, you haven't thought about that very much. Like, where am I going to? I have no idea, right? Uh, so as I'm packing up and I, and, and I announce I'm leaving, I, I can remember a visual of my dad saying, so, uh, so where are you headed? I don't know, but not here. Anywhere but here. That's like the mantra for every runaway. Anywhere but here is where I want to go. Which is why Southwest Airlines took that and said, you know, like, want to get away? This should be a great tagline for uh, a a travel company. Anywhere but here. Where do you want to go? Anywhere but here. That's basically, in the Tri-Cities, we call that February. That's what it's called around here. Like, anywhere but here. I just don't want to be here. Hawaii, California, anything. Just not here. But when you're running away, when you're a runaway... Uh, the goal a lot of times is just away from. Two is secondary. We'll figure out two, uh, but I just want to get away from this. Uh, we have been lucky as a family. Uh, my oldest is 10. We've had zero runaways so far. I like to credit that towards good parenting. Uh, my wife likes to remind me that we live in a, in, in a neighborhood where there's only one street and it goes around in one big giant circle. And so London could have run away several times and she just gets halfway around and then she starts seeing our house again and she's like, ah, you know what I mean? So it probably has nothing to do with me. Uh, probably has to do with where we live, geographical location, which is awesome. Um, but have you ever had a moment, this is the, the, the point of this series is going to be this. Have you ever tried to run away from God? Have you, in, in your relationship with God, have you ever been like anything but here? I'm, I'm, I want away from this. I want away from the accountability that I feel of you as some sort of a heavenly father or moral figure or moral watchdog or here's what I want you to do and you know what God wants you to do or if there's a God that exists, you kind of know what he would want for you and you kind of want to live your own life in a certain way or there, there comes some things like you want God for the protection sometimes but then at some point you feel like a belief in God is keeping you from something or someone. And so therefore, I find that I want to get away. And so maybe for you it was high school, or maybe it was college, or maybe when, when he started showing up, or she started showing up, or, or something took place, or all of a sudden you got money. Um, all of a sudden uh, you, had this, you, you, you got into a new circle of friends, and, and the standards were a little bit different, their expectations or whatever, and you got away. And I, and I don't just mean like, listen, I don't just mean um, you stopped believing in God, like you ran away from the belief in God. Sometimes we do that. We, sometimes we tone down our conscience by believing that maybe um, what if there isn't a God, or what if he's kind of busy? What if he kind of was like a set it and forget it type of God? He created the world, but then it's like hands off and, and not really interested in the minutiae of the day-to-day life for us, or what if it was a specific area? Like, you're like, I've always considered myself a Christian, but in a specific area, I've kind of tuned out God's sort of, here's what I want you to do, because I don't want to do that, um, and so therefore, I just like change the station a little bit, and I kind of do my own thing in something. That, that's the kind of runaways we're going to be talking about for a couple of weeks, and in, in, like in a gut-level honesty moment, 
you might say, I do think that there's a God, and I, I live with sort of a sense of guilt of not doing the thing that I think he wanted me to do, but you know what? That was a long time ago, or that's just where I find myself at, and, and that's just who I think God is. Or I know it's a problem, and I'm just like trying to live with it, and I'm just trying to be okay with it, and I'm just trying to make sense of reality as the best as I can uh, in this way. You ran into uh, some sort of relationship. You ran into some sort of financial thing. You ran uh, towards a particular issue or, um, you know, you still pray, but when you pray, they're not prayers of surrender. You wouldn't say, I surrender everything to you. You're like, I need you for this one area, but just don't worry about all the rest of this stuff. Like, focus, God. I need your attention right here. I need your help here. Um, I know that this is kind of a mess, but I'm good. We'll figure that out later or at some point, but you pray isolated prayers. You're a runner. You are a runner. And here's the thing. Um, I, I'm not pointing my accusatory finger at you because here's the deal. We've all kind of run at some point. We're all runners. Uh, we have all, we either have ran or are in the middle of running or have the temptation to run at some point. We are all in that spot. And the thing you need to know about runners is this. I have three thoughts on runners. And the first one is this. We all run for the exact same reasons. We all run because uh, we feel uh, like this moral watchdog or this, this, this God in our life is keeping us from something or someone, like I said earlier. Um, or we feel like um, we equate life with God and life isn't going great and we equate that with God not doing great things for us. And so we're like, I think I can handle it better on my own. I think I can do this better than what you, you know, maybe have for me. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this on my own. We all run for the exact same reasons. My goal today, I'm going to show you, we're going to talk through a few things. And you're going you're gonna to hear about runners, and you're going to be like, that's kind of me. Like, I wonder, like, how did he know? Or did you, you know, you're looking at the person that brought you, and you're like, did you, did you email him about us like this and me and, and all that? And, and I didn't. I, I just, I want to I show you that there's a, a passage in Scripture. There's a story highlighted for us that's about 2,700 years old. And yet when I read this story and as I walk through it, I think, I think it'll identify. I think you could be like, well, that's just... It's kind of me. I mean, that's sort of me in a sense. We're going to be looking at the story of a guy named Jonah. He's an Old Testament prophet. And immediately, as soon as I say Jonah, you equate it with the whale. This, you don't know much about Bible maybe, or you're not really an Old Testament scholar. But like I say Jonah, you go whale, and you're like, oh boy, here we go. Or maybe you go whale slash, then it's kind of veggie tales. You know what I mean? You remember there was like a specific veggie tales about that growing up as a kid. And and uh, this is, we're all very familiar with this. And, and, and in fact, the whale part of the book of Jonah only takes up three verses out of like four chapters. Um, and yet it is the hardest pill to swallow in terms of believing things about Scripture. Like you, you've had skepticism about the Bible and you've heard your, your English teacher a long time ago told you it was just like a collection of all these ancient things. And it's got contradiction and misconceptions and lies and, and whatever. And then this story comes along and you're like, that's just one more thing to add to the reasons why I'm not, I don't really believe the Bible because what in the world, a fish that can swallow somebody whole for three days. And you grew up in a household, maybe like I did, like maybe, maybe not, maybe you're outside of this, but I grew up in a household like some of you where we were taught that this story actually happened, that this is historical, uh, not fiction, historical narrative, basically, right? That there was an actual uh, fish that swallowed him and he survived for three days. And, and uh, it's like, and they always said, it's, I know it's crazy, it's hard to believe. We grew up watching Pinocchio, so it wasn't like that hard of a jump. And so we're like, okay, I mean, we kind of see how this kind of works. Um, and and uh, there's a commentator that, that wrote about this and said, bold is the person who looks at seemingly improbable events and says 
impossible even for God, right? Like if we believe that God is big and created the universe and whether he was the, you know, created it out of, out of nothing or created it in seven days or seven eras or, or flipped the first domino or started the evolution, process, whatever you believe about God, right? If we believe that he's big enough to do all of that, and we don't give him the opportunity of the real estate to be able to be like, I'm going to send this giant fish and this is thing that's going to happen, right? Then, you know, bold is the person who would look at those things and say, impossible, even for God. And yet, this seems to be a huge stumbling block for a lot of people, which I get. I totally understand. Um, so I remember in college, I, I uh, took a class uh, with a professor who came across a story like this and began to, in, in initiating this story, talked about myths and the nature of myths. Myths we oftentimes classify as like fairy tale stories or things that never happened. And the point that he was trying to make was myths were things that didn't happen but carried with them, you know, uh, naturalistic values. So for instance, uh, Homer's Iliad, Homer's Odyssey were myths, famous myths. Um, not because, because they didn't happen, yes, but they carried with them strong Greek values that every kid would grow up. And so is there still value to the story in terms of shaping who they are and what we, who we are as a people, right? As a, as a, not we, us, but for them in Greek culture, who are we? We'll read this and you'll figure out a little bit about who we are. And mixed in is some truth with some enough truth to make it, make it kind of feel like this could have happened or, or, or whatever. So anyways, I want to give you permission to go either way on this thing, okay? So if, if this for you is, is so difficult, I don't want you to miss the message of Jonah because you can't get over the big giant fish that happens in three verses, okay? Um, because you've watched a movie before or you've read a book where as soon as you put the book down or as soon as the movie got over, you felt inspired to go do something in real life even though that was not a real story. Uh, a few months ago, my, my wife and I went and saw uh, The Greatest Showman, uh, which is a movie that just came out onto DVD, and, and fantastic, and y you should see it, and it's about P.T. Barnum and, and this show, and like, it's just, a, the, the soundtrack's phenomenal, it's sort of a musical, so if you're not into musicals, you might not like it, but, uh, it, and we walked out of that, and I was like, I need to be a better dad, that's just what needs to happen, like, I just need to do better at this. I never once, I knew P.T. Barnum was a real person, uh, but I didn't, I, I'm, I was sure it didn't actually happen in the way that it turned out. And it's, as it turns out, BuzzFeed comes out with an, an article a little bit later, which is more like a buzzkill, but whatever, about how much of a jerk in real life P.T. Barnum was, and like all of this stuff was not, some of this stuff was, wasn't really true, and the stuff that was really true is not putting him in a good light. And so anyways, I, I left with that going, yeah, but even if it's not true, the fact that I was drawn there emotionally during the cause of that, or during the, the period of, of, of that hour and a half or two hours or however long that movie is, I left inspired to do something in real life, and it shaped a little bit about me wanting to be a better dad. So I want to give you permission to have that be in this category because I so badly don't want you to miss the message of Jonah and what it has to say about runners. So I wrote this down in this way, and take it for what it's worth. I would hate for you to miss the message of Jonah because of a myth you can't swallow, right? See what I did there? All right, that's horrible. That's a terrible dad joke. Anyways, save that for dad's day, dude, you loser. All right, moving on. Jonah chapter one verses, uh, we're going to start with one through three. We'll go through pretty much the whole chapter at first. I'll, I'll summarize some of it towards the end. But the word of the Lord came to Jonah son of Amittai. So immediately, uh, there are things called oracles that took place in the Old Testament, specifically when it comes to prophets. Prophets were the mouthpiece of God for the nation of Israel. 
God has something to say to them. He doesn't show up in like a pillar of smoke or, you know, loudspeaker or whatever. He sends a person, typically a prophet. And almost all of the oracles begin with, and then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, all those guys, and then they would go out and do this. So this is familiar language. This would feel for the, you know, this uh, early audience, its intended audience, like this is another oracle. This is a message of God. Came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Uh, we, you don't know this just based on this first reading, but what this signifies is that it came to somebody who comes who hails from uh, the northern kingdom. The kingdom of Israel was split up into two nations at one point. They kind of rebelled against each other. It was like a civil war, basically. And then the northern kingdom it's, is eliminated first by the Assyrians in 722 BC, the southern kingdom in 586 uh, by the Babylonians. So, uh, But most of the scripture wasn't developed until after these guys go into Babylon, and it focuses primarily on Judah, the southern kingdom. So all of a sudden, we are introduced to essentially an outsider, okay? This is somebody who kind of got what he deserved in terms of writing about it in the past. It wasn't written down as if it was happening. This is what happened today. This would be written down many years later as a reflection on this. And they introduced Jonah as sort of a, an underdog character. You need to know that going into this. He's an underdog character set up, as we're going to find out, for failure. Go to the great city of Nineveh. The only reason Nineveh sounds familiar to you is because you probably have heard this story before. However, anybody reading this in the original audience would know Nineveh was one of the capital cities, or at, at one point it became the capital city of the Assyrian kingdom. So Assyria was this nation, and Nineveh was, was probably one of the first metro, metropolitan areas in kind of ancient history. It was a, a huge city, and it housed Assyria. And preach against it because its wickedness had come up before me. Assyria was known for being incredibly violent and having low sub-basement expectations when it comes to human rights. Assyrians were famous for skinning people alive. It was literally called flaying. If you type in the word flaying into Wikipedia, the first nation that comes up, the first nation that was popular, that, it was, uh, that, that is associated with flaying, literally peeling the skin off of somebody, is Assyria. They would do this. They had perfected their ability to peel off people's skin, people who they had uh, uh, attacked or, or they wanted to kind of make, a, uh, make an appearance of, you know, in terms of don't cross us or this will happen to you. They had figured out how to keep them alive for several days in extreme amounts of excruciating pain and keep them alive. And eventually, you know, this is a form of torture. This is terrible. So from a human rights watchdog, they're on the list in a very bad way, Okay. And so what he's saying, or what's being portrayed here to this audience is, go against them. Now, they were a completely different nation. They did not believe in the God of Israel, the Yahweh God. This was, they had their own system of gods. And so this is an odd thing, because most prophets would have, were called to the nation of Israel. Go and tell my people this. Go and tell my people this. And now here, in this instance, the original audience is reading this, going, go and tell a nation who doesn't believe in me that I've got them on my radar, that they are being so bad, and that my sovereignty goes beyond just the nation of Israel into the entire world, and I have some say in this. So this was an example of we, you know, Israelites grew up feeling like uh, God kind of deals specifically with Israel. He doesn't have much for outside nations, but in this instance, he does. He has a message, and it's not good. Go and tell them their wickedness has come up before me. Now, Knowing what we know now about Assyria and knowing what we know about Jonah as kind of an underdog and knowing that he's not going to a nation that understands what the role of prophets are. If he had gone to an, uh, an uh, Israelite king or an Israelite nation, people would be like, oh, yes, he's a messenger from God. All of a sudden, if he shows up, 
in, a, in, in an opposing nation, a nation that has no regard for God, and says, I have a message from Yahweh God, they'd be like, who's that and who are you? You know what I mean? He is being set up for failure, and it's against a nation who has a huge reputation for being completely evil and completely dark. So it's no surprise that Jonah responds in the same way that you and I probably would respond to something like this. I would like to not do that. (laughs) That thing you're asking me to do, I don't want to do it. So I'm not going to do it. So here's what he does. He runs away like we would run away when we feel like this conviction of, I want you to do this. Yeah, I would like to not do that. She's really hot. So I'm not going to do that. And then we'll figure out how that goes. Verse 4, here's what he says. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Now, here's what you need to know about Tarshish. Most people believe um, that it was uh, basically northwest Spain. So he is, he is currently residing in about like middle part of Turkey. He goes down to Jerusalem area or, or Israel to catch a ship and boards it to cross the Mediterranean Sea to go to a world that for them was about as far away as you could get. This is the illustration of the story of he's supposed to go east, he decides to go west. And not only west, go as far west as like their maps had. This is the end of the world. We're not sure what happens beyond this. This is as far as we know. This is the message that's trying to be in this way. And he goes on a ship, by the way, which, in, like, you go on a ship now, you're like, you know, you don't think anything of it. You go on a boat, and most boats are pretty sturdy. You get in a plane right now, and you think, it's, this is pretty safe. But imagine if you were running away from a God who you thought kind of uh, created the universe and was in control of all of these things, and you went on something that was, in that season, a very dangerous journey. Not only like a small ship ride, but across this giant Mediterranean Sea, which probably felt like a lot like an ocean. We're going on not dry land to go on something that could potentially kill me. This is crazy. Here, here's, the, here's the next kind of learning that we get. Not only we are we all run for the same reasons. When we run away from that which we know we ought to do towards something different, you and I run to the strangest places, don't we? Looking back on the times that you decided to run away, it was odd where you went. And it was odd how you got there. You felt a conviction. You felt like there were some red flags. You started dating somebody, and then your mama or some sort of source of truth and value in your life goes, are you sure? I mean, there's some red flags. I, I got some issues with them. I, I'm, I'm not sure what you're going to do. And, and you're like, who are you? And they, and they say something, hey, it's none of my business, but I, I really think you should reconsider. And you're like, you know what? You're right. It's none of your business. And we're getting married. That's what you said, right? And you ran in the opposite direction as fast as you could from what you know you ought to do. I know I'm not supposed to do this. Not only am I going to go that way, I'm going to go as far away as possible and I'm going to go as fast as possible as what it takes to get there. We run away for the strangest reasons and oftentimes in the strangest means possible. He goes on, he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port and after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. How convenient that the moment that he decides, I don't want to do this, there's a ship in port waiting to take him in the opposite direction. Listen, be assured, when you decide to run away from that which you know you ought to do, there will always be a ship in port ready to take your money and take you somewhere you don't want to be. 
Isn't that funny how it worked out in life for you? That you go, you know what, I'm not going to do this. And how convenient that he showed up that week into your life. And you're like, oh man, this is a coincidence. What a coincidence. There's a ship waiting for me to take me to a place I don't want to go. And you're thinking, how did he know? How did he know that this is how it worked in my life? That sounds a lot like me. Remember, this story is about 2,700 years old. But if it feels familiar, perhaps that's one of the reasons that for a long time, people go, this story hits home. When I rebel and when I run away, this story says a lot about how I run away too. Perhaps we should keep it. Perhaps this story has some sort of meaning in describing who we are and where we go and how we run. There's always a ship ready to take it in the opposite direction. It's not a coincidence. It's how it all works. Verse 4, then the Lord, right? Which has like this, like this, uh, feels like there should be some theme music behind it. You know what I mean? Like this is the part in the movie. Every, every story has like an introduction to the characters, then like a tension or a problem to be solved, and then a climax or a turning point, right? This is the dun-dun-dun, then the Lord, right? So you've had a then the Lord moment in your life. You've had something looking back on your story. Things were going this way for a certain long period of time, and there's like years that you capitalize into like, you know, and then I, uh, then we got married. And that's it was like 17 years of your life, but it takes up two seconds of your story. But then there's something that happens, and you can go into great detail for a long period of time about what this thing. It was a family emergency. It was a health issue. It was a financial issue. It was a, a drug issue. It was a, something I went searching for answers, and I came up lost, and I found myself in rock bottom sort of mode. I think back on the parable of the prodigal son, right? The son goes to his dad. It's a father who has two sons. It's a parable that Jesus tells. And he says, dad, you'd be better off dead than alive to me. I want the money that I would get. If you had died, I want my inheritance early. I'm going to go off. And it says he went off and squandered his wealth. He sounds like he had quite a bit of wealth. And so that squandering probably took a bunch of time. But that kind of is blown through in just a couple of verses. And then it says he wakes up or, or comes to his senses in a pit where he's eating the food that is designed for pigs. And there's like extensive verses in that spot where you can kind of go to and be like, oh man, I get that. Like I feel that. I can recall that kind of story. That's exactly what's taking place here. In fact, a lot of people believe this was like a pre-existing parable that Jesus tacked onto and said, I'm going to tell this parable. It's going to sound a little bit like Jonah's story, but let me tell you about a dad who had two sons. Just a more modern example of kind of what's taking place here. Then the Lord, get back to it. Then the Lord, here's, here's what he remembers. Here's the point of the story that goes into great detail about the turning point. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. Again, in this story, this is, this is supposed to be sailors who make this trip all the time. They would gather goods from far off. They would import them in. They would sell their stuff, make their money, import things back. They were import, export, commerce kind of guys. These were not first-time sailors. And yet there's a storm, and it appears to be so bad that they begin to cry out to their own God. Maybe he will take note of us, notice of us, or sorry. And they, threw, uh, they were so afraid of it, verse 5, they were so afraid of this thing, they began to throw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. 
The reason that they had gone on this trip was for commerce. They're now throwing their cargo over the ship, which means they're going to take a financial loss on this trip. That's how bad it got. Verse 5, but Jonah had gone below deck where he laid down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and he said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Imagine in this story, they're trying to paint this picture of a storm that's so bad, we're throwing everything about why we took this trip in the first place overboard. We're having a prayer meeting up on top, and there's some dude sleeping downstairs. Like, come on, man. This captain probably goes down for some other reason, sees Jonah down there, and is like, are you kidding me? Isn't it obvious to you that we need you upstairs? We're doing a prayer meeting. We'd love to have you be a part of it because we're about to die. Don't know if you know that. I know you've been sleeping through this thing. It's really cool. I'm sure you're tired. You're probably exhausted. Here's the deal. You're going to die, so you need to come up here. Isn't it obvious to you this boat is about to sink? Now, here's the thing we know about runners. Here's what we know about runners. Runners are oftentimes the last ones to make the connection between things that to outsiders feels like obvious things. It feels so obvious. You've seen somebody running. Maybe not from God, but like from just responsibility in life, right? They're in a marriage, they got some kids, and then they decide, I just don't want to be married. I don't want to be a parent. I don't, I don't, want, I don't want this. I don't want responsibility. I don't want this kind of a life. And so they, they run, and then they meet with you for coffee, and they're like, man, my life's just been terrible. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with some things. And you look at them, and, and you're trying to be a good friend, and you're like, hey, um, do you think it possibly has to do with the fact that you know, you kind of bailed on responsibilities, you, you kind of did this, and they're like, and they look at you and they think, no, I think it's something else. And you're like, no, I'm pretty sure it's that. You know what I mean? If you're a parent, you do this, you love your kids so much, but some of the decisions that they make just don't make sense. And you sit around a coffee table with other people and you tell stories, and, you, and they tell a story about their kid, and you're like, yeah, wait till you hear my story. This is what my kid thinks. Isn't this ridiculous? And it feels so obvious to you, but it's so not obvious to them. Why? Because when you are running, you are oftentimes the last one to make the connection between what's obvious and what's real. Between the connection between my actions and the consequences of my actions. Between what I've chosen to do and now what I'm dealing with in terms of the consequences of those things. Between my choice to disregard responsibility and the ensuing chaos that is characteristic of my life. Runners, we run for the same reason, guys. You are not unique, right? I know why you run. We know why we run. Jonah knows why we run. We read this and we're like, oh my gosh, this is kind of me a little bit. When we run, we run in the opposite direction and we do so as efficiently and as quickly as possible using all kinds of means. And when we do it, we find ourselves in that situation and we are not able to make the connection. Things that should be obvious are not obvious to us. These sailors go down to him and say, get upstairs, dude, we need your help because we don't want to die. Then the sailors said to each other, verse 7, come Let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this 
calamity. This was a uh, common thing in their world. They would either roll dice or draw straws or whatever, and they felt like the gods who exist out there are going to you know, put the right straw in the right person's hand, and it'll communicate to us what is supposed to happen with this. They'd been through storms before. This one felt different. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah, so they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord, Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land, which I probably should have stayed on, apparently. Uh, this, that's my inter- interjection there, but this terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. And eventually, uh, he, they ask him, so what are we supposed to do? And he goes, well, I think the obvious thing is um, maybe to just throw me overboard. I think that... Um, and it's like this kind of like martyrdom a little bit when you read it. It, it, it doesn't quite make sense. He's not like, uh, well, let's make some sacrifice. Let's do this. Or he doesn't think through some, some things. He kind of knows in his heart uh, that this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to cast myself into the, uh, into the sea, which uh, from a metaphorical standpoint, like in the Old Testament, the sea always represented chaos. It represented danger. It represented the unknown. Anytime the sea uh, exists, even in the creation story, it says that the, the, the sea levels rise and there, there's a bunch of chaos in the world. And then for them, it just, they, they had such a limited worldview. They didn't know that there was kind of land in these certain places. The sea just represented the end of the earth and just the oblivion, basically, a bunch of chaos. Throw me into my own oblivion. Throw me into my, the result of my, or the consequences of my actions. I deserve to kind of take full responsibility for this. This is essentially what he's saying. At first, they're like, no, you can read it for yourself. But they're like, no, we're not going to do that. They attempt to row back uh, to shore. Uh, they figure out that that's kind of a futile endeavor. And so they eventually decide, all right, we're going to take you up on your offer. We're going to throw you overboard. You're going to jump the plank or whatever. They throw him overboard. And um, it, mentions, it mentions in the story that the storm like immediately stopped. Now, we don't have a picture of what exactly happened here. And if it is a myth, I'd like to play into that a little bit, okay? Because if, you've, if you can imagine throwing Jonah overboard, I think that, I don't think that he sank like a rock. When I was a kid, I thought, you throw him overboard, and it was kind of like, you know, then he just kind of goes off into the, kind of like a Titanic, like, Jack, I'll never let go. And then she's like, yeah, I'm going to let go. And so there you go, you know, and then he just kind of like drifted off into the, into the utter nothingness, right? Um, I don't think that that's what takes place. I think it's just human nature for us that even when we're like, we know that we're probably going to die, I would imagine that he probably swam and kind of kept it afloat as much as he could. And the story goes, as soon as they threw him over, the storm stopped. Can you imagine throwing him over, the storm clears up, and he's out there swimming, or like right there, and you're like, should we pick him back up, or what, what do we do? And he's like waving at you, and you're like, all right, man, you know, that kind of thing. It's, it's crazy. It's a crazy story. Anyways, verse 17, now the Lord, now the Lord. First, then the Lord, then the Lord. Now, now it's now the Lord. So it's obviously who's in charge of this story, right? The author is trying to make it very, very clear. This is a story that has a purpose. It has a flow and in control the entire time is God. It's not happening by chance. This is a story that was meant to be told. Now the Lord provided huge fish. There's a fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Um, Now, here's the thing about this story. Because they believed that the sea represented chaos and uh, evil and all of the bad things of existence, 
the whale was not sent as a punishment, but as a deliverance. And when Jesus takes the story of Jonah in the New Testament and talks about how a sign of Jonah, and he was delivered by the whale, he says that this was a gift from God, that this sort of a uh, thing was not a punishment, but a blessing, not a curse, but a, deli- a mode of deliverance on this. This, is, this was an important step for them. God chased him down. God was in control the entire time. He did these things. He sent this storm, yes, because a father, a good father disciplines the kid that he loves and wants to not punish him further, but bring him, bring him back. Coming back to this parallel between this story and the prodigal son, you remember, again, the, the, the two sons, the younger son goes off and he, and he spends all his money and he, and he wastes it all away. And there's, uh, you know, again, quick talk about that. Long talk about him reflecting in the middle of this pig pen. What's it going to be like if I decide to go back? My dad, could I go back as kind of a servant? Could I go back and try and earn my dad's grace again? And he comes up with this plan, and he talks about how he's going to, you know, what the things that he's going to say and how he's going to respond. And his expectation the entire time is, I'm going to go back, and it's going to take some work, but I think I might be able to talk dad into it. Or I might be able to earn it back. Or there might be a series of punishments and consequences that I have to go into, and dad is going to be angry. He's going to be so angry with me. But you know what? That's all right. I can make this happen. And we know the story. The story is that the dad's outside and he sees his son from a long way off. In spite of all the shame involved with it, runs towards his son with open arms, welcoming him back into the family, gives him a signet ring, throws a party, invites the crowd, invites, makes it a very public event, the welcoming back of his son into the fold. It's an incredible story. And it illustrates once again that God is a God who chases after his kids, disciplines them because he loves them, but not because he wants to punish them, waiting for them to take one step in the right direction when it comes to the prodigal son, or chasing them so hard in the story of Jonah that even when you run from God, the beauty of it is that you can't outrun God. You can run from him, but you cannot outrun him. And so in the New Testament, we see uh, him deciding to turn around. In this one, it says, even when you don't turn around, God's in control of both of these things, and he wants you back. Not so he can pay you back, but because he loves you, and he wants to win you back. He wants to win you back. I remember going back to that story of me as a kid, a seven-year-old in Auburn, Walking down the street, got my backpack on, got all my stuff, everything I owned, everything of value, all both Legos, you know what I mean? Um, walking down the street. And I remember my dad pulling up next to me at some point in the car, rolling down the window, leaning his head out, this old 1987 or 86 Audi, which Audis are nice now. This was like when they were not nice, Okay. Remember Subarus were like not nice and now they're nice? Same thing with Audis. They were not nice. It smelled probably because of me. Whatever. Rolls his window down, peeks his head out the window and says, hey, buddy. So uh, where are you headed? I don't know, Dad. I got to the end of the block. I don't even know where I'm at anymore. <laughs> I'm just walking around. Why don't you get in? Let's go home. Mom's ready for you, right? Listen. I don't know how you might be running or what you might be running from 
when it comes to God. Maybe it's like just him in general. Maybe church, maybe like it's crazy that you're listening to this or watching this or here today. Maybe it's a specific issue that you've just decided to run from. And maybe as I'm describing the way that we run, you're like, dude, that is me. That's me. That's me. Holy cow. How did he know? How did he know? Because we all run for the same reasons. We run to the strangest places and the strangest means possible. And when we do it, we have a hard time making the connection. We're oftentimes the last ones to do it. And yet there's a God who's crazy about us. Jesus retold this story later on because just to reconfirm, I already told it to you with Jonah, but let me tell you about it again. There's a God who's crazy about you, who wants you back, not because he wants to punish you, because he loves you. So my question to you and all of us as we kind of explore this through our series, where are you headed? So where are you headed? Where do you think you're going? You're running? Why are you running? Where are you running to? Where do you think that's going to lead you? And that's fine. I'll let the story play out. Whatever. Great. But you just need to know. You just need to know. Over and over and over in Scripture, we are presented with a picture of a God who wants us back, who's crazy in love with us, who wants us back. He wants to win us back, not because he has some form of punishment waiting for us to get back. When we get back, hey, I want to you know, make sure that we fix this, get this thing right. You're going to learn your lesson here because he wants to win us back, because he loves you, because he loves me. That's the message of Jonah, that I cannot wait to explore with you for a couple more weeks. I hope you come back for parts two and parts three. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for preserving this incredible story for so many stinking years. And I, I know that over the years, hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people have read this and identified, found themselves in this story. And uh, we're not the sailors. We're not the whale. We're not God who's doing this. We are the runner. We're runners. And whether or not we truly appreciate it in this moment or not, may it sink into our hearts and the core of our belief system that we can run from you, but we can never outrun you. And you want us back. You want to win us back because you love us, not to punish us. Give us the grace and the means and the wisdom to know what this looks like in the way that we're running and the courage to do something about it. In your name, amen.